Well, hello once again, Pastor Brown from Akron Lions Fellowship. Hope that you have had a wonderful, wonderful week. And again, I just want to thank Melvin for filling in for me and uh, allowing me to have a couple of weeks of rest. Uh, it's been good. And I just thank God that he has sent such a person like Melvin Gaines to just assist and to help. And um, outstanding teacher. And I hope that you take time to listen and to hear him. And uh, I believe you can learn much from what he is sharing. And um, if you've been following, again, I just want to encourage you to just hang in there and allow Melvin to just guide you through the Word of God. He's an excellent teacher. And I want to thank you for uh, allowing me to take a time off and to just rest up a little bit. I ask that you continue to pray for me. I will have a <clears throat> uh, MIR on the 21st, uh, see what's going on in a certain area of my body, and we're hoping things will turn out well. Uh, God is in charge, isn't he? And we look to him, and we just give him thanks and give him praise. And I just thank the Lord for each and every day. And what a privilege it is to come before you. Uh, many of you I may not never meet or know, uh, but I'm sure that one day I may see you around the throne of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And uh, I hope that you just say hi, hello, something, I heard you, you were an encourager, and I hope that's what we are, an encourager to you. I hope that we're somebody who builds you up in the faith and to uh, uh, help keep your feet on that road of faithfulness unto our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We all need that word of encouragement. We all need someone to help keep us on the straight and narrow because it's so easy to slip off and get sidetracked. And I wonder how did we get stuck over there in that ditch? And uh, the whole problem is that we're looking for God to still do great things in our lives. And I hope in your life. So we're going to pray and we're going to get on with this Father's Day message. And what I want to do is just talk about men. Every father is a man. We have no real description in the Bible about what a man is, but what a man should be. A godly man and uh, one who loves the Lord Jesus Christ but we're going to look at men in general and speak from that position hopefully to bring some scripture in that will challenge all of us whether we're a father or not whether we're living in the home with our children or separate from our children what is it that God expects of us and once we can understand what God expects of us and we're willing to learn from God who we are in Christ Jesus I believe that will make us better fathers I believe we will be the fathers that God has ordained us to be when we learn to follow him and allow him to teach us the father of us all to teach us how to be fathers to our children. 
So let's pray and let's get into the word. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for your loving kindness. Thank you for the privilege, O God, of learning from your word. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit might minister to us. Open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds. Oh, God, let us not be someone, Lord, that allows the water to roll off our back like it does off of a duck. But may it absorb, may we, oh God, absorb your word like a sponge. May you speak to us. And Lord, may you guide each word to each individual that will hear this message. You know the ones you want to hear it. So Lord, you speak to their hearts. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a father, he is a man. And uh, nothing else can ever take the place of that father. Moms can't be fathers no more than fathers can be moms. And older brothers can't really be fathers. They can fill in and take the place of the man of the house, as it was once said, but yet they never take the place of a father. Uh, Stephen Kendrick, he gives uh, seven things that a father should be, and I pretty much say the same thing, and I believe he is correct, but it goes much deeper than this. We are more than just providers, protectors, leaders in our families, and teachers, and helpers, and encouragers, and friends. We are much more than that. We are men who learn to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he can minister through us to our children, to our families. And that part maybe we have somewhat fallen down on or let go of. And what I want to encourage the men to really look at the position that God has called them to be. To be in. God has put us in a position of authority. And let me start right off. This is not a male chauvinist message. This is not a, an attack upon women and, and that they're lesser than men. It is to understand there is an office and position that God has ordained for men. Likewise, he has done the same for women. Both have authority in their position. Both function in power when they function in the order in which God has ordained for them to function. And when we're, whenever we step out of that order, out of those positions in which God has ordained, then we lose that power and we wonder what's taking place, what's going on. Why doesn't nothing work for me? Because it's not what God has ordained. And we have to recognize God is a God of order. And if he is a God of order, and the stars don't run into each other, and the sun and the moon don't get mixed up, 
and they don't get confused at what time one should go down, the other one should come up. Uh, day and night don't get confused. Uh, day is day and night is night. But yet, for some reason, man is so divided. Man doesn't know what he is, who he is. And this might be the day and the hour in which God, in a sense, is calling us back to himself as men. Half the men who get married can't stay married. Something goes haywire or wrong. Divorce rate among the unbeliever and believer is high. And it shouldn't be. But I believe part of that is simply because we're not willing to function in the order in which God has ordained and accept the responsibility that God has given us and allow him to give us the strength, the wisdom, the power, and all that is needed in order to meet those responsibilities. A man has a very difficult task. He is the head, the CEO of his company, of his family. And the results of his family being what may be called successful or unsuccessful all somewhat falls at his feet. And I hear a lot of people, oh no, no, no. Uh, they make their own schedule. They do their own thing. Uh, it's not my fault they messed up. And there's some truth to that. It's, it's not the parents' fault that a lot of children are messed up. A lot of young adults are messed up in their thinking. But the question would be, have they been taught how to make decisions? Have they been taught how to think something through scripturally, not just worldly? But what does God have to say about that subject, about that issue, about that thing? And that's where sometimes as men, as leaders of households, that we fall short. Now, I want to give a shout out on this one, too. There are a lot of good men out here doing the right thing. There's a multitude, millions of men who are doing the right thing. But even in spite of that, we're losing a cultural war, a society, something is wrong. Something's missing. And the question has to be asked, can we do better? Can more men do better? And the answer to that, I believe, is yes. Millions Millions of men can do better. And I'll throw this simple little thing out. And I know uh, some of you will frown at it. But more men, <clears throat> if they were sitting in church, would improve our society. If more men were in church learning the principles of God and God's word, it would help solve some of our problems we're having at schools. Our crime rate might go down. 
men are the heroes, men are the leaders, men are the ones that is able to tilt this thing one way or other because of their position in which God has ordained them to be. Now, if you begin to talk about this, sometimes people get all knotted up. And again, I want to say this is not bashing women and and this is not bashing good men. I hope it's a deeper understanding of the role that God plays in our life. And that we can grasp that. Because God has ordained it. Yes, we have all this division. Men don't know how long to be men. Men sleeping with men. All the hideous things that men are doing today. Uh, Fathers running and abandoning their children, running away from their children, their responsibilities and that which they should be taking care of is not being taken care of. So there is so much going on in our culture, in our society, that unless there's some standards or principles or something interjected in that's going to change us. And the only thing I know that will change us is the Word of God. We got tons of psychologists and counselors, but I don't believe it's going to be counseling. I don't think it's going to be the psychiatrist. I don't think it's going to be the medicine that is given out. The only thing that's going to correct what we see happening in our society is the Word of God. Is the Word of God. That God's Word is taken seriously into the hearts of men. And men begin to practice and to teach one generation to another generation to another generation what God has ordained for men. And even in the church, we've missed this some. we missed the mark. Um, because sometimes we're scared to speak what the word is saying. Because we know when we speak the word, there's going to be opposition against it. And we all want to be liked. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be spoken well of. And sometimes when you speak God's word, that may not be the case. And we see that with Jeremiah. We see that with Ezekiel. We see that with different prophets of old. Even with John the Baptist. That when you speak the word of God, it may not always turn out in the manner which you expected it to. And the people may turn on you rather than changing their ways. So those are things that sometimes can be very difficult. But men of God and those who are called to preach God's word, they have no other choice. 
but to stay in this word, keep digging in this word, and declaring what the word of God says. Whether if it fits the culture of the day, the norm of the day, whether if it be displeasing to some or many, what has to be taught is this word. And men will always try to take this word and make it, how do I want to say, more relevant, um, more neutral or more accommodating to our society that our society will accept it not so much on God's terms but on their terms and for many people they go to church but they never open the Bible they're never in the word of God and uh, we need to be in this word so I guess I better get there too haven't I and I want to start off with this area here let's go to first Corinthians chapter 11 because it gives us a order in which God ordains and he's not going to change it he's not going to change it for culture he's not going to change it for gender sake to please a certain gender or a certain group it's not going to be changed and somewhere as men we have to accept this also and men have to accept that they're under the authority of Christ. Believer or non-believer. You may not bow a knee now. But there is coming a day that scripture tells us every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's going to happen. It may not be happening now, you may say. But it's going to happen. Every man will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is his head. So I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with me. Verse 3. Because he speaks about his headship. And it won't change because culture wants it to change. It won't change because men won't step into their roles and fulfill their God-given authority and right and the position or office in which they are to hold. It won't change. It's God's word. For better or worse, in a sense, it will not change. And he says in that verse 3, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. Now catch that. The head of who? Every man is Christ. He didn't say just the head of the believer. Jesus Christ is the head of every man. He leads every man. Those who have confessed him as Lord, the difference is... They accept that leadership and they follow that leadership. The unbeliever denies that leadership and rebels against that leadership 
in his life. That's the only difference. One accepts, one rejects. One follows, one says, no, I'm going to do it my way. That does not change the position in which Christ himself holds over us. He is the head of every man. He is. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. Not that he will be the head. He is the head of every man. And then he goes on and he says this then. The head of the woman is the man. And that will not change. I don't care if she makes the majority of the money in the family. I don't care if she's more intelligent, has more education. The man is the head of the woman. That is the office. That's the position that God ordained. Now, that doesn't belittle the woman. She is equal with the man in creation. She is equal with the man standing before Jesus Christ. But function, function, there's an order. And you function with leaderships and with heads. Not with just whoever pops up or whoever does this or whoever does that. It's always in every organization leaders have been appointed and placed in office. Whether you like them or don't like them. They have a function to perform. And it's been ordained that men will function as heads of households. That men would be fathers, not mothers. That men would guide a family and teach a family. And those are things that today we got to come back and rebuild a foundation for men to stand on. And again, I want to say there's a lot of great men out here doing a wonderful job in their household. And I want to encourage you, keep it up. Keep doing it. But there's far too many of us that we're lost, we're bewildered. We don't know what to do. And I want to tell you, it starts with the relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts with getting into this word and understanding who you are as a man under God's authority. And he says, and the head of the woman is man. And then the head of Christ is God, God the Father. And Jesus said, I come to do my Father's will. He accepted that, that God the Father was over him. And he said, I come to do my Father's will, not my will. So he accepted the authority. We have to be willing to accept the position that we have been given as men. And be willing to shoulder the responsibility as men. Now, I want you to go back with me to Genesis, because there always has to be a starting point. There always has to be 
that area of given authority. Man just doesn't grasp authority. He just doesn't take authority. Man is not the one who makes up authority. It is something that is given to him. And it has not changed. And because of that, we have a great responsibility. Now, I want you to go with me to Genesis 1. Sometimes people say Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is a repeat and so forth. I think God is also in 1, is somewhat sharing with us what he's going to do, but yet have not done it. And then when we go over in 2, he does it, and now things are in place. But in chapter 1, he's also talking about what's going to be done and then what should be done with those that he has created. So pick up with me in verse 26 in chapter 1. He says, Then God said, Let us make man. Not that he's already made man. Man is not created yet. He's talking with the triune God. Let us make man. Man's not made yet. Man has not been created yet. Man is nothing but this thought in God's mind, if I can say it in that fashion. But he has not yet been created. And here's this conversation with the triune God. Let us make man. What will man look like? What will man how will man develop? What, what's going to take place here? What are we going to do? And it comes up in this fashion, in our image. Uh, in our image. Let man somehow be something like us. Not that he looks like us, but there's something that is stamped in the nature and the spirit of man that is like God. And he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, whatever that likeness is, boy, that's beyond my ability to say. I don't know. Whether it be in the creative the, the ability to think, uh, the ability to do certain things, I don't know exactly. He doesn't tell us. But there is something in us that is like him. That is like him. And he goes on and he says, in our likeness, and let them rule. Now, I want you to catch the word them, not just Adam, but them. Now, is he referring to Adam and Eve, or is he also referring to the total collectiveness of humanity, all that will come through Adam and Eve, that let them rule, or is he saying, Allow humanity to rule over all my creation. Allow humanity to be responsible. 
And he says, let them. So if you take the man and the woman here, they are both given authority to rule. They are both having the ability to rule within the function and the guidelines in which God has created them to function. If I can talk about that just for a moment in this fashion. As a man, I don't care how much I might want to breastfeed a child, I have not been equipped to do that. No man that I know of has the ability to breastfeed a child or give birth to a child. So our function from the very beginning has been defined by God, not by man, but by God. Adam didn't choose to be in such a way that he could not breastfeed a child. Adam didn't choose that. He was made that way. He was fashioned that way. Wasn't his choice. God ordained Adam to be the man that he is. And he ordained the woman to be the woman that Eve was. Both having the ability to rule. Now, catch this. He gives them the ability to rule. Now, whenever you are given the ability to rule over something, you also become accountable to that individual or those individuals who has given you the authority to rule, you are now also accountable to them. Adam and Eve, in their rule, their leadership, in their function, was accountable to God. And you and I are accountable to God. And he says, Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. Both have the ability to rule over the earth. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. Now, still, I want to suggest to you, man has not yet been created, but man is going to be created in this image and in this likeness and with this authority that God gives men and women. It doesn't take place until chapter 2. And God tells us how he does, how he forms the man out of the ground. And later when he sees that man doesn't have a helpmate, doesn't have a companion, that he causes Adam to be put to sleep. And he creates Eve out of one of his ribs, not out of the dust 
of the dirt of the ground. So he's giving us more detail in 2 than he does in chapter 1. Chapter 1, he's telling us the ideal of how he's going to create male and female and the authority that he's going to give them, the responsibility of ruling over. But yet, they were not yet created. In chapter 2, we see, and he explains to us, how the man was created first. And that helps us to understand that it was the man who is given all the commands of what not to do in the garden and what he could do. And man then has to teach or share it with the wife. And Adam had to teach Eve. It helps us to understand that when they were there in the garden and Eve took a bite of that fruit, that God didn't show up immediately right there. There was a pause for Adam to be offered the fruit and Adam himself would partake of it because the full responsibility was given to Adam, the man. And men have been running from full responsibility that God has laid on them ever since Adam took off running and blaming Eve by saying, the woman you gave me. No. I gave the rules to you, Adam, before Eve ever came on the scene. And we see that somewhat in chapter 2. And Adam is the one that is fully responsible. And scripture says it again in Timothy when it says, It's the woman who was deceived, not Adam. It was the woman, not Adam. But he goes on and he says, in that chapter 2, in verse 8, he says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. He didn't put them. He put the man. Adam is not yet formed. It's something about sometimes slowing up as we look at scripture and allow scripture to be more detailed for us. And it helps us to have a little deeper understanding and to see what's really taking place. And he, he tells us here, well, over in chapter 1, boy, it said, and God created Man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. There it sounds like, okay, they're both created at the same time. No, not at the same time. It also gives the impression that uh, they both are, are equal here. And what we see in chapter 2, they are not equal. And we really see it then in chapter 3. When it, God says to the woman, your desires will be unto your husband. That doesn't make her a slave. 
that does not make her someone who should be abused or ignored. That does not make her someone lesser than he is, less than he is. It puts an order of what God has ordained in placing the responsibility on one person, man. The woman is not off the hook, for she is now responsible for her role and how she functions as God has ordained her to function. Now, Understand this principle. The woman is not so much submissive to the man as she is submissive to God. The man himself is submissive to God. Both are submissive to God in their ordained function and role. Is not one ruling over the other. Is God ruling over both? The man is the responsible head of the woman and of the family. He is the first. And he is the one who is to care for this family under the authority of God and the watchful eye of God and the wisdom and provision of God. So when we see too, again, it says in verse 8, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man, he put the man. Again, Adam didn't choose his place to be. God placed him there. And it's just Adam, no Eve. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kind of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eyes and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he explains all the other part of creation. And then we come down into verse 15. Look what he says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden again, saying he put the man where? In the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it, the responsibility. To work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The woman's not here. He's speaking to the man. And the man is the one who is responsible for carrying out God's commands. And to teach it to everyone else in his family. The man is responsible to be the priest of his home. The man is responsible to be the real teacher in his home. 
The man is the one in whom the children really learn from, both young men and young ladies learn from dad. Now you say, well, what is mom supposed to do? Don't worry, mom teaches. Mom teaches also. Just teaches differently than dad does, than the father does. He's teaching his sons. He's to pass something from his, from himself to his son in the area of leadership. He's teaching his daughter something. How to come under the authority and the covering and the protection and the security. Now, men, we have failed in many ways when they come to the security of our families, the securities of our wife, protecting our wives, covering our wives. Now, understand, again, I want to say there are a lot of great men out there doing a great job and stay at it, stay at it, stay at it. But there's a lot of us, we don't know where to even begin. And I was one also, didn't know where to begin. A man is not a bully. A man is not the one who has the loudest voice in the house. The man is not the one because, boy, he can knock somebody down or he brings the most money home or he provides this or that. That's not the man. The real man in the house is the man who can humble himself and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the real man. And allow Christ to teach him how to be a husband and how to be a father. There you'll discover the real man. And you will find the man who functions in the manner in which God has ordained. Eve was nowhere present when God gave these rules or orders to Adam, these commands to Adam. Eve was nowhere present. Let's just read a little bit further. And he goes on, he says, And the Lord God, in verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good for a man to be alone. God says it's not good for man to be alone. So when he gives these commands to Adam, Eve's not here. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever he, the man called each living creature that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, birds, and air, and all the beasts of the field. But look what scripture again says about Adam. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This now 
bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Human. She's human just like I am. Different, yes. Different, yes. For she could function in a different way than what Adam could function. And she was called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and there was no father and mother, in a sense, for Adam or Eve. But it sets a pattern for what? For future. For what would take place in the future. Not now, but future. And it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. There was no shame in this union. There was no shame in this relationship. They were both able to look upon each other with cleanness of eyes and respect, in the highest respect. Now, the man has to be willing to take his position. That's not the boss. That's not someone who knocks somebody around or belittles someone or who can cuss someone out or do this or do that, but he takes his position. He takes his position under the authority of God, under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to go with me to 1 Timothy. And chapter 2 and 3. We'll pick up in verse 8 there just for a moment. He says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands. That's what he wants every man to do. Every man to lift up holy hands to God. When you lift up these hands, you are lifting them up to the living God. And he says then, pray. Pray. Without anger or disputing. Why? You are worshiping a sovereign God. You are worshiping the God who has placed authority in your life. There's no reason for you to be angry. God has it. There's no reason for you to be disputing. God has it. You lift up holy hands in recognizing this sovereign God who has ordained you and positioned you and given you authority as a godly man under his authority to carry out his will here on earth 
and within the framework of your family. And he says he wants men to, to lift up holy hands. Well, somebody might be saying, okay, I can do that. I can do that outside the church. Yes, you can. But there's something doing it with brothers. There's something doing it with other men that men are missing. That we pray together and we allow God to empower us together and strengthen us together. And that men are willing to do what God has called them to do. Look in verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Now, again, this is not knocking women down. But it is allowing the man to fulfill his God-given role. And Satan will do all he can do to hinder this. Whether if he attacks the men who run away from this responsibility, or whether they he uses the woman to overshadow the man and make the man feel like he's a nothing. He says, this is what should take place. And what was happening in the Corinthian church women were raising all kind of sand and sometimes women can really cause a lot of problems but that's because men won't step up and be the godly men they have don't have to be angry at them don't have to be disputing with them raise up holy hands and recognize the one who has ordained you to be in the position you're in. When you understand who you are in Christ and the position God has given you and how you are to function in that, you don't have to be angry with anyone. You don't have to dispute with anyone. You just have to yield to the one who is a sovereign over all the universe and everything else will bow to you. He says, she should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over men or over a man. Now, we got this thing way out of bounds today. That's not saying a woman cannot teach. She can't. There's many things a woman can teach. But when it comes into the house of God and the way society itself, in a sense, is to function within our scope of church, our scope of our families, that's the man. That's the man. And I know somebody's out there saying, oh, he's going too far. When you remove men or allow men to surrender their positions and their responsibilities, it seems like everything breaks down. 
And right now we have a broken society, a broken culture. Our kids don't know what their genders are. Our young adults don't know their men or women. Our young adults don't have responsibility of themselves, let alone anyone else or anything else. When the role of man breaks down that has been ordained by God, you will see a lack and a failure in everything else. And the only way, and I know this is hard to believe, the only way it can be restored is if man once again takes his position and his responsibility under God. That's not being a boss. That's not being a mean somebody. That's not being somebody who think they know it all. It's not. It's just coming to a place to follow what Scripture says. Be a teacher. See, you can't teach what you don't know. And a lot of men know nothing about God, nothing about the Scriptures. They know and give their child what they think they know. That's not good enough. Men, we all have the responsibilities to know this word of God and be able to lead devotions in our home, to lead prayer in our home, to teach not only our wives but our young sons and daughters what God expects. And then there becomes a healing in that family when that man's in his proper position. And you may say, well, my family functions very well. My wife does a very good job leading. Sometimes you need to ask her, is she tired of the pressure? Is she tired of the leading? Sometimes women lead and they function out of necessity, not because they really want to. They know they have to. That's a huge difference. And pressure is different on women as it is on men. Some men thrive under the pressure. Women, it tears them down. We are called to be men of God. And I want you to look at something here in 1 Timothy 3 that continues in the order of worship or church but I think it's also found in the home because he speaks of the home in this chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. He says, Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife. That's a male figure. A male figure. Again, functioning in a God-ordained office. Now, I want you to come down with me into verse 4. Look where the training takes place. Look where the learning takes place. He must manage his own family well. 
the man who's going to run anything for God or be in charge of something for God. His training ground, his proving ground, everything about him is really taught right there in his home. Can he manage his home well? Guess what is the breakdown in our society? Men are not managing their homes well. Every one of us will almost say, the schools cannot do the disciplining. The school cannot do all they're supposed to do. That has to start at home. Now, we know that. That behavior and mannerism, all this has to start at home. Not at school, but at home. But if the one who is to lead this, the one who is to teach this, if the one who posts to head all of this up is out of place, then where does that leave the home? See, we may not like God's order and the way God has fashioned things to be. But it's not going to change. Either we change or it only gets worse. Men, I want to challenge you to be men of God. I want to challenge you to learn God's word. I want to challenge you to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Not some pastor, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Find yourself a church. Get involved in that church. Learn and make sure it's a teaching church. A church that wants to teach you God's word. That will teach you what it is to be a man of God. What it is to be a husband. What it is to be a father. What it is to go against the things of this world. That you might be the man who represents the living God, not only at church, but in your home, on your job, in everything you do. That whatever your hands may find to do, it will be done for the glory of God. Dads, you have a vital role to play. And I pray that you will allow God to lead you in to what he has ordained you to be. And that you will find your fatherhood, your manhood, everything you need in Jesus Christ. Thank you for allowing me to have these few moments. I hope something was said that will spark, that will encourage, that will challenge Something that will have you at least take another look of what's in this book. Because it's so important. Dads, we need you. Fathers, we need you desperately. We need a turning in our culture, our society. And the only one who can turn this ship is a man called Father. Father. Is a man who is a godly man, 
who are not afraid to stand up for principles and values. A man who is not scared to stand up for the beliefs that are given to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, I want to thank you. It's been a blessed time and I pray that you would discover who you really are in Jesus Christ on this Father's Day. God bless you and may God keep you. Father, we thank you that you have ordained us to be men of God who are responsible unto you and will one day give an account to you of our stewardship and all that we've done in managing our families and all that you have put before us to manage. Let us, Lord, not run away from it, but let us embrace it, knowing that, Lord, you will give all that is necessary for us, O oh God, to meet the task that you have set before us. Challenge each man. Call each man to yourself. And Lord will give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. May God keep you. Hope that you keep growing in Christ because he is our answer. Amen. See you next week. Bye-bye.